Welcome to BIV Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. You know, in the last municipal election, there were 16 newly elected mayors, quite the makeover for the region. And one of them, Port Coquitlam's Brad West, took 86.2% of the vote. And since then, he's been a prominent successor to the city's Greg Moore, who chaired Metro Vancouver's council. He recently called on the Union of BC Municipalities Organization to turn down an offer from the Chinese government to sponsor a reception. He has his reasons, and we're going to talk about them here in a minute, but uh, there's a lot more to discuss in what he's learning in his first term at the helm of the city after a couple of terms in council. Brad West joins me. Good to have you with us. Good to be here. Thanks for having me, Kirk. Hey, listen, what happens when you uh, you elevate from uh, councillor to mayor, to, apart from getting that lovely necklace? Uh, you get like uh, <laughs> you get the private jet, you get, uh, you know, the, the kind of thing? Uh, no, no private jet in Poco that I've found yet. Okay. Um, but yeah, there, there's certainly a, a difference. And I, I spent uh, three terms on yeah. Port Coquitlam City Council, so I was there for 10 years and, and thought that I had a, a pretty good idea of what uh, being mayor entailed. And it certainly prepared me for the role. But I don't think that you really understand uh, the rest, all the responsibility that goes with it uh, until you take office. And uh, I mean, some of it is very much related to uh, the business of running the city. But the other aspect of it is, is just being um, more high profile, more well known. Sure. And, and uh, you know, the impact that that can have on your life and, uh, and your family's life as well. Exactly. I'm, I'm sure uh, day to night, you're, uh, you're kind of on the clock with everybody. Um, I want to talk a bit about that and a bit about also the regional responsibilities that I think a lot of our mayors feel with so many issues mm-hmm. that are, of course, in common uh, in our district. But let me, um, look, let me throw the softball question your way here to start uh, about sure. this reception. Uh, yeah. Uh, why not? Why not take, take it? I, I just think it's completely unethical, uh, to be honest. And I became aware of this at last year's UBCM convention. Um, as a city councillor, I haven't attended every UBCM convention, uh, but I did become aware last year that this was taking place, that the government of China sponsored their reception. Uh, and I, I felt it was inappropriate. I didn't think that our role as mayors and city councillors is to be engaged in international uh, relations and uh, foreign affairs, particularly with a authoritarian regime like the government of China. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, I wrote to the UBCM and I, I said, um, you know, I, I think that this is wrong. Uh, I never did get a reply, but upon becoming mayor of Port Coquitlam, I did have the opportunity shortly thereafter to speak to the president of the UBCM. And we talked about a lot of municipal issues, but I said, look, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that I have a problem with this, and I, I think it raises some serious ethical questions, uh, and particularly as relations between China and Canada have deteriorated, and, and uh, China has acted in such a hostile uh, manner towards our country, I think that this is a problem. Yeah. Uh, he told me at that time that they had heard that from others and basically asked me to sit tight while the UBCM discussed it. Um, they evidently discussed it and came back and uh, uh, let me know in May that they were planning to go ahead. Uh, I asked the president at that time, how can I register my opposition to this uh, and push the issue further? He asked that I write them a letter, which I did. Uh, and then subsequent to that, they released their program for the convention 
to the media. And, and of course, the media saw that the government of China was going to be a sponsor and uh, the issue kind of blew up from there. But my, my view is this. At a time when the government of China has two Canadians held hostage, two of our fellow citizens held hostage, subject to God knows what. I mean, we, we've heard the report that they take away one of the Michael's reading glasses. Yeah. And, you know, Lord knows what else they're having to endure. At a time when that is happening, at a time when they, the government of China as basically a trade war against this country, against our uh, canola farmers, against uh, our meat producers, at a time when all of these things are happening, it is unconscionable to me that you're going to have a bunch of mayors and city councillors slap a smile on their face, pretend none of that is happening, and go and have the free food and the free wine and, and rub shoulders with uh, officials from the government of China. It just it, it does not make sense to me. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why I have uh, brought the issue forward, uh, and I just believe it's entirely inappropriate, and that it should it should stop. Yeah, you you mentioned the fact that, of course, you know, the, it, why why should municipal uh, uh, councillors and mayors uh, be somehow commingled in international events, and yet it, here you are now, like you you are kind of stuck in this space. And I, what I wonder about is uh, a couple of things. One one is. Um, yeah. Uh, first of all, it, it, this is a reception. It's there's a symbolism to it, of course, of of connection and friendship and all that. But but does it go? Does it need to go farther in your view? I mean, do do municipalities in our region now need to um, you know kind of strike a, a, a far less uh, benign tone around China and begin to do things like you know review. Um, development proposals that have their, some of their basis or, or investment proposals that have some of their basis in China. We, we, you know, how, how far do you feel it needs to go? Um, well, look, I, I think as a country, we need to be far less naive in our dealings with China. There has been this orthodoxy in this country uh, that has taken hold over the last several decades, I would say, that it essentially says that the more we economically integrate with China, uh, the more that we uh, acquiesce to their wishes, uh, the better off our country is going to be. Uh, and in, in some, by some osmosis, uh, their behavior is also supposed to improve. Yes, it hasn't well, happened. Yeah, and, and, it, it, but it, it, that was the assumption, I think, several years ago, that, that under Xi Jinping, somehow the country was going to continue to open itself to a, a kind of a, you know, a, a, if not a Western democracy, then at least Western business practices. Sure. And, and, and we've seen it hasn't happened. If anything, it, it's gone in reverse. I mean, I, I think we can say that with some confidence it's gone in reverse. I mean, I'm not even touching the egregious human rights abuses that occur in, in the country. Uh, and there are many that we could speak of, uh, particularly the Uyghurs who are interned by some estimates in excess of one million mm -hmm. Uyghurs interned in what are charitably described as re-education camps in China, and again, subject to just deplorable human rights abuse. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just saying that this idea that we should be doubling down on, in my opinion, a, a, a failed orthodoxy about how to deal with China it is stupid. It doesn't serve the interests of our country or, I, or our communities, I believe. Hmm. And so are we going to have a relationship with China? Obviously we are, right? There's, we're, we're, not, 
we can't, you know, we can't pretend that they don't exist. They're obviously a, a, a huge uh, economic superpower. Uh, but I do think that our entire country, in, including in local communities, need to be far less naive about our relationship and ask themselves, why is the government of China doing this? What did they get out of it? You know, yeah. what do you think for those who my colleagues who think the UBCM uh, reception is, is just some sort of uh, benign affair? Well, what do you think? The, do you think the government of China is sponsoring this out of the goodness of their heart? I mean, if you look at, uh, and it's well documented, their activities throughout the world and in Canada, they are engaged in a very coordinated and methodical campaign to expand their influence and to grow their soft power. And in, and in fact, they're actually quite uh, open about that. They're not shy about talking about their aims. And it goes so far as, as having resulted in the former head of CSIS in this country say that, yes, this is part of what the government of China is engaged in. They're engaged in that sort of activity, influence-growing activity in Canada. And he identified municipal politicians as being particularly susceptible to coming under the influence of the government of China. So this isn't hyperbolic, made-up stuff. This is real. And so I think there just needs to be a greater awareness of that. And, and people need to be a little more circumspect about uh, the positions they, they put themselves in and how they approach uh, dealing with a country by China, which plays by a completely different set of rules than Canada does. Yeah. In positioning yourself in this way, uh, Mayor West, uh, what I also wonder about, though, is how, how do you stick handle uh, an accusation that really what, what you're dealing here with is, is, is kind of racialized behavior and not, not behavior that, that is, uh, uh, coming from a place of, of, you know, intellectual, rational, uh, decision-making about, um, uh, accepting or not accepting largesse. I mean, how, how do you, how do you deal with that when you've got, uh, you know, members of your own community that, that might feel that this is a, uh, some sort of act of hostility against against a, a nationality or an ethnicity. Yeah, and I I think that that's a nonsensical uh, attack. Uh, mm. Though I understand that there are some people who make it, and they usually make it to shut down discussion. Um, that that's been my experience. Um, yeah. Because the reality is, you can substitute uh, the government of China with another government that was behaving in a similar way. And I would have the exact same concerns and issues. It just so happens that in this instance, the government of China is the only foreign government that the UBCM takes a check from and arranges access to mayors and city councillors in exchange for that check. There's no other foreign government that is provided that privilege. And it just so happens that it's the government of China that is engaged in a number of hostile actions against the national interests of our country. Mm -hmm. um, if it were another country or another government, my feelings would be the same. Uh, and I'll tell you, since I've spoken out on that, I, on this issue, I have been inundated with messages from people uh, all over British Columbia and, and actually even in different places of the country. 
And the ones that um, I think have been particularly profound to me have been the messages that have come from Chinese Canadians mm-hmm. who say, you know, I'm, I'm proud to, to live in this country. I'm proud to be a citizen of this country. Uh, in many instances, they've come to, they came to this country to escape some of the behavior uh, and actions and, and egregious uh, record that the government of China has. And so, you know, to me, it, it doesn't follow that um, being critical of the government of China's actions is in any way, shape or form an indictment of, of an ethnicity. It's just not. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think people who try and make that uh, argument are, are just are are insincere and and I think are quite stupid to do so um, okay. because there's no bearing there. Last question on this point, because I want to talk to the, the larger affairs of running a city. But um, uh, mm-hmm. I think it's already kind of come to light that there are concerns that Poco is going to maybe pay a bit of a price for standing out on this one. Are you recognizing anything yet? Um, I, I haven't. And, you know, people, you know, too many of the sort of political establishment are are pretty gutless and don't have the courage to actually come out and, and, and direct, in a direct way say to me or to my community, okay, there's going to be consequences to this. So instead, they, they kind of speak in code, Kirk, right? Yeah. That, you know, oh, well, geez, um, be careful. And it would be a shame if, you know, your community didn't get, you know, grants that maybe it had hoped, it, you know, this sort of nonsense BS sort of stuff. And again, they, you know, they, they don't have the courage of and strength of their convictions to actually come out and say what they mean. So they kind of pander in that sort of um, just, you know, ambiguous nonsense. Um, and so, you know, for me, it's like water off a duck's back. I, I, I believe I have the support of my community in what I'm saying. I have the support of my council, absolutely, in what I'm saying. And I'm standing up for what I believe is right. And I believe that there's a very important principle that is at stake here. And I think it's one that should be of concern to every British Columbian and every Canadian. And that's the, uh, that is that our elected officials are making decisions in the best interests of our communities, our residents, our taxpayers, our citizens, not subject to foreign interference from a hostile government that has its own agenda. And so I, I'm quite happy to stand on that principle. Uh, and, you know, if it means that I'm not very popular with other mayors and city councillors, then I'm okay with that because I believe in what I'm doing. Yeah. You do speak, though, to the to the larger issue that uh, that I think a lot of mayors will talk about when they... Um, when they take office, which is that they suddenly not, they're not just simply the mayor of a city. They now have to be a, a, a player in a larger region. And of course we don't have amalgamated government here, but we do have, you know, a Metro Vancouver council that, that tries to look after these regional issues and form some kind of uh, broad, if not consensus, at least broad support for a lot of issues. Uh, how are you uh, trying at this point to insinuate yourself into that um dynamic we would what kind of representations do you think you want to make here in the in the first stages of a term because you're still only what eight months nine months in yeah that's right it's still a lot to learn i i, I hope i never stop learning uh, i learn every day uh, a, a new 
piece of this job and and think critically about how I can improve the way I'm doing it. Uh, and that's a process that I think needs to continue. Um, you know, because there were so many new mayors elected, uh, a big part of the initial process has been getting to know one another. Yeah. Um, because, you still are, you're still wearing you know, name tags, or do you guys have? Uh, you, know, you guys have <laughs> I, I, past I that point? Just about everyone uh, figured out. Okay, um, good. And in, in in that respect, I, I'm really pleased with um, the relationships that I'm forming. Um, there's a number of mayors who um, who, in a short period of time, I've uh, grown quite close to who um, who I, I I see in them uh, similar uh, values and thinking to my own. Um, and, you know, we are working um, cooperatively on, on a number of issues, um, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, there's a number of them and I won't name them all. But, um, you know, Mayor Mike Hurley from Burnaby is uh, is a person I have a lot of respect for who uh, who I knew um, prior to, to politics. Sure. I had, uh, You're both our families knew yeah. each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, you have a relationship there. Um, the mayor of Langley City, uh, Val Vandenbroek, is someone who uh, I have really hit it off with. Um, in, in my own neck of the woods in the Northeast sector, um, you know, Mayor Richard Stewart and I, uh, Mayor of Coquitlam, um, obviously have a lot of interaction because our communities um, have so much cross-pollination on a number of different things. Um, and the mayor of uh, Pitt Mills and Maple Ridge building, while Mike Mortimer, two people who I've have an immense amount of respect for, and and find myself in alignment with on a number of things. So, um, so the relationships I feel are um, are have been strong, and um, you know that's something that you have to continue to work at. Um, and so I always try and find those opportunities to have one-on-one dialogue with the other mayors to, to learn from their experience, understand the types of issues that their communities are grappling with. And, and there's so many similarities in that regard um, right across the region. So I think that aspect has been impo- important. But, you know, for me, when it comes to both Metro Vancouver and the TransLink Mayor's Council, there's specific things that I want to get done. And uh, to be able to get those done, you need to have uh, a broad base of support and, and a coalition of folks who are also interested in achieving the same sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. Um, that has been an important element for me of these first eight months. What do you think the development community is hearing from you that it might not have heard earlier from the city? Well, I think what they're hearing from me is uh, is a very um, is a very uh, frank and direct. Um, uh, discussion about development in Port Coquitlam. Um, and I am not um, hostile uh, to those people in our community who, who build housing. Um, and what I have learned from my time on city council, much of which during I chaired our city's um, planning committee, is that what developers need want to know or what the rules of the game are what what are the expectations from the city uh and having some certainty around okay here's here's what you can expect in Port Coquitlam and here's the types of things that you need to be thinking about and here's the types of things that the community and the council want to see reflected in uh in development applications Mm -hmm. you know 
as long as that is really upfront and, and, you know, and it's not these sort of curveballs that come at the last minute or, you know, you're, you're sitting between uh, um, uh, third and fourth reading and all of a sudden, you know, the city does a complete 180 and, and oh, well, no, you know, it's got to be this or that or no, now we've decided we don't like it. As long as, you know, they understand what expectations are, then you sit down and you try and hammer out something that meets those expectations and understanding that there's going to be some give and take uh, on both sides. Yeah, you've spoken uh, out and, recently and, on uh, on the the notion of of family friendly housing. I mean, that's, yes. that's that's obviously a theme that one would expect in Poco because it it has, in fact, I think, uh, attracted a lot of young couples who need to start Absolutely. a family and they can't. Frankly, they just can't afford to stay in Vancouver if that's where they're working. Uh, so, yeah. so this becomes a, a theme for you. Is that is that something that you, you know, you you think in the early going is going to be um, a pretty significant priority for the kind of development that's going to take place? It, absolutely. I mean, I my wife and I have a two and a half year old son. Um, we are very much uh, a part of a generation in our community and. There, and you're right, there's a lot of us and there seems to be more every day of that sort of um, young, early 30s um, uh, demographic that is, is looking for um, a great place to raise their family. And, and that's really my uh, vision for Port Quillam. I want our community to be the best place in the province to raise a family. And so part of that means having places where people can raise families. And uh, I'm sorry, but you can't raise a family with, you know, one or two kids in a one bedroom condo. And, you know, there was too many development applications in Port Coquitlam prior to my taking office um, that essentially were almost entirely developments of one bedroom condos. And, you know, so my message to the development community is that this, you know, this is not what our community is looking for this, not, not meeting our expectation. And so, um, you know, we did make it very clear what our expectation is. And I have to say that a number of uh, developers and applications that have come forward to the city are, are meeting that uh, expectation. And so, again, I think um, what gets lost in so much of the discussion around um, development and housing is is the is the importance of just being you know really direct and being able to sit down and say okay here's what we're trying to accomplish in Port Coquitlam we've got young people who are mo- looking at our community as a more affordable place to move to be able to raise a family knowing that that is a demographic that is uh, growing how are we going you know how does your development application? How does your proposed project uh, contribute to those housing needs? Mm -hmm. And being able to sit down across from a developer and look them, you know, see each person be able to see the whites of the other person's eyes and figure it out uh, and and then move forward. And so that's what we have been able to do on a number of applications. And and I'm really pleased with that. And you're right, it's going to certainly be, it's going to continue to be a, a top priority for me. A couple of things before we we conclude. Uh, you know, a, a pretty senior transportation person recently uh, 
talked to me and said, you know, uh, the, look, the, I, I worry that senior levels of government are not always going to have these big tranches of infrastructure money. Um, I, mm-hmm. I worry about that. I worry that this might maybe be the last big bundle of dough that we, uh, we can see here in the coming election because you have to know that there'll be promises made uh, in the next little while. Uh, yep. it, it, you know, the, the priority, it seems, at TransLink is, um, is this next stage of a subway uh, heading out to University of British Columbia. And yet the city centers that appear to be growing in our districts um, are, are almost everywhere but there. Um, they're they're much more down toward Chilliwack and Abbotsford, and and of course you know your community being part of it of, of almost that whole continuum. Um, mm-hmm. are, are you worried that the money will will dry up and that the needs that that are there for uh, for your community and for those down to the south just won't be there? I am worried about that, and I've spoken about that at the mayor's council because I, I think this idea that there's just limitless money that senior levels of government are going to rain down on Metro Vancouver um, is not accurate. I mean, I, I get that there's sputters of money, you know, during election cycles. Um, but, you know, we need to be able to um, to plan properly for our region uh, and to think about you know, what, what are, what's the continu- what's the entire continuum of projects that are uh, that are required and are required on the basis of their, where people are at. So you've correctly identified the fact that, you know, the fastest growing parts of our region are out in my neck of the woods. You know, this is where people are moving to because, you know, they're driven east because of affordability issues. And so, you know, whether it's uh, Port Coquitlam in the Tri-Cities, whether it's uh, Pitmouse Maple Ridge, Abbotsford, uh, you know, certainly Langley, tremendous amount of growth. You know, people are, are increasingly moving to that part of the region. And that's the part of the region that is most poorly served by, by transit. And so I think these decisions need to be made based on where the people who we're trying to serve are at, not necessarily trying to, you know, chase a senior, a senior government dollars by uh, making something seem politically attractive because you know it intersects through the right uh, competitive uh, federal riding or, or things like that. I mean, that's no way to plan a transit system or a rapid transit system for mm-hmm. the region. Yeah, uh, and you know, I think we need to, to a great degree, we have to get the politics out of it uh, and insert some common sense into it. Uh, because, you know, the people where I live, you know, they don't pay any less to TransLink than the people who are very well served pay. We, we, we pay the same amount of money, mm-hmm. yet, you know, the amount of service that we're getting is not even comparable. So, um, so I am concerned that, you know, there's, there's always seems to be uh, another shiny project that's just around the corner ready for senior level of government funding and it ticks a uh, ticks a bunch of boxes uh, of their political considerations uh, and i just don't think that that's the way to build a regional you know with a regional transportation system which is really how we need to be looking at this and we need to be looking at 
where people are at and where you know what areas are growing hmm. um, because you know the, the timeline of getting these things done too is just so long I mean it, yeah no, you're, no, I, I you're think talking about yeah, yeah, it, 2035 yeah. or something you know but, the, exactly right so I mean it just it, it kind of you know it, it, it boggles the mind because I mean you know geez when you get to 2035 I mean just imagine what the region's going to look like then and and you know the, the population growth that's going to have occurred in the communities that yeah. I uh, that I mentioned so we can only uh, hope that so we there's have a the, lot of work we'll have the Star Trek transporter by then I guess and uh, people will just be able to go <laughs> it, uh, yeah. we're going to need it at the rate we're going yeah last last question um I mean, you've you've got already three terms in council, and here you are as the mayor. And but you're you're still a a young guy in this field, mm-hmm. uh, comparably speaking. And uh, and and I'm sure a lot of people point that out to you that, that that's a bit of a rarity uh, at the moment, yeah. which is that a lot of it doesn't seem as if, and I might be really wrong, doesn't seem as if this generation is attracted in the same way that maybe other generations were attracted uh, at a young age to try to step up for public service Mm -hmm. what what do you think is first of all is my theory okay but secondly if it is uh why why is why is that not happening why do why do we not see this brigade of a lot of young leaders we only see like occasional ones we have to actually point them out yeah Yeah, it's been interesting for me i got elected to port coquim city council when i was 23 Mm-hmm. Served ten years on council and then became mayor. I'm 34 now, and uh, you, you know I I agree with you. I I don't find amongst my my peers that there's a a big attraction towards elected office. At the same time, that doesn't mean that there aren't things that they care about. And, and in many respects, the the interesting dichotomy here is that um, they they care deeply and feel very strongly about a number of issues. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of my friends who aren't particularly political uh, or wouldn't consider themselves political sure aren't shy of opinions about, you know, how we should be doing things. Yeah, and they just, they just put them on is, social media instead of, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, get, get out to the, you know, the ballot box or, or stand uh, for the office. It's, it's right. You know, there's, there's, so I think there's, you know, this, this, it's not that this generation doesn't care because I do believe they care deeply. It's that they're not translating that to, uh, well, I should then run for office or I should become uh, politically active. And, and, and that's not a phenomenon that is, um, I think, necessarily just uh, specific to sort of my generation. I find amongst every age cohort uh, there is an increasing disillusionment with politics and with elected officials. And I mean, you look at the poor turnout that's happening at elections. I mean, that's not just all young people not turning out. That's people, you know, um, my parents' age. That's my, you know, people my grandparents' age. I, I really think that we have a serious challenge and it, you look at it across the, the Western world. It's not just in Canada, it's in the United States, it's in Europe, it's other places. There is uh, increasingly this disillusionment with the sort of political status quo and establishment. Yeah. Um, and that is revealing itself in a number of different ways. And I don't think that we are at all immune to that. Um, and, and I'll just to 
kind of circle back to our initial discussion, I think when the public hears things like this decision by the Union of BC Municipalities around taking money from the government of China, I, I think those type of decisions by politicians compound people's disillusionment yeah. um, with politics today and elected officials. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think there's, there's lots of responsibility to go around for that. But I, what I get a little sick and tired of is, is hearing, you know, uh, other politicians whine about how, you know, people are hard on them or the media, you know, is too hard on them or, you know, no one appreciates them. Um, it's just a little bit hard for me to take. I, I think they need to take more responsibility for their own actions that are feeding into all of this, that are, that are creating the conditions that people feel that, you know, basically uh, it, it, what the public thinks doesn't matter. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of responsibility to be uh, to be shared on this. We we all need to do better. We all need to be more engaged. But politicians need to stop whining and crying about how hard done by they are, uh, and take more responsibility for the decisions they make. And understanding, you know what? Sometimes people are going to disagree with those decisions, and they're allowed to, and that's okay. And it doesn't mean that you're being, you know, picked on or, or whatever else it is. So um, I, I just think we can all do better in that regard. Okay. Well, then I'll conclude with this then. Uh, I mean, here you are, you're, you know, you're 34. It's not a, you know, you've got a long life ahead of you. and But you're looking at this uh, trend line around political participation and, and voter participation. Uh, and yet, uh, I'm not a political science uh, theorist, but it's very obvious that when you have that kind of uh, gap in institutional participation, you leave your flank open to, uh, to those who might exploit it um, and, and give rise to some things that are often very questionable politically in, in, our, in our best interest. Um, I know you're at a municipal level. I know you're in a, a community that's trying to build itself earnestly into, into you know, one of the great cities of this province and country. But uh, do you, does it dawn on you at times about how worrisome this trend line is and what it's going to mean um, to some of the viability of, of political institutions in the time ahead if, if people don't, frankly, get themselves uh, connected to them? Yeah, it, it absolutely does. I, that, that growing disconnect that people feel from their elected representatives, um, from the various levels of government, I think, is very worrisome. Uh, and again, you know, I, I think there's a, a number of reasons why that disconnect has happened and why I believe it, it's being exasperated. Um, but I, I do think it, it's, it's deeply concerning and it should be of concern to, to everyone who serves uh, in elected office and who is a public servant. And I really do believe truly that that's what this is. It's a public service, or it should be. Uh, and, and I mean, I think it requires our utmost attention. And so, you know, for me, as, as the mayor of Coquitlam, it means that although it's going to be just, you know, a relatively minor contribution to rebuilding the bonds of trust between the people and elected officials, every day, I do my absolute best to make sure that people in my city have 
confidence in the direction that we're going, that we're acting in a transparent matter, manner, that we're uh, involving our community and public, that they are a part of what we're building in our community, that they feel involved, that they feel that they're having uh, not just being heard, but being listened to. Uh, and, you know, I, I just do my absolute level best to live up to the oath of office that I took when I was elected uh, and make sure that the city is meeting its most basic responsibilities to its residents. And <clears throat> I think by doing that, you start to rebuild confidence. Uh, and, and, you know, for me, I'm the mayor of Park Aquilum, so that's what I'm concerned with. Um, but if I can play my part, then, you know, maybe others can do the same and we can start to dig ourselves out of this hole that we're in. Yeah. Well, you've been generous with your time today, Mayor West. I want to thank you for your, your help on this one. And uh, we'll talk again. Look forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. Port Coquitlam Mayor Brad West. You've been listening to BIV Today. I'm Kirk LaPointe. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next time.